Welcome to Unwanted Guests, the podcast that teaches you about insects and other pests that may join you in and around your home. It's brought to you by Texas A&M AgriLife Extension and the Texas A&M Department of Entomology. We're your hosts, Wizzy Brown, Robert Puckett, Molly Keck, and Janet Hurley. Welcome to this episode of Unwanted Guests. And we are heading into cooler weather, finally. And so we are going to prepare you for what we are anticipating to be the next thing that kind of starts moving into homes. And those are the hackberry psyllids. So who all has dealt with these before? And what do people normally contact you and say? Well, I've, I've definitely had a lot of folks reach out about them over the years. Um, and usually the sort of the, com- the common complaint is that uh, loads of these are accumulating around their windows and doors and uh, around the outside of their homes. And a significant number of those sort of slip through and make it into the interior of the home. And of course, they're sort of been out of shape about that. So the thing that I always get, it's always, um, let's see, I, I have gnats accumulating on my windowsills that I usually get. Does anybody hear that one? Oh yeah. So these are actually, they're they're called hackberry psyllids and they are very, very small. I mean, you can see them with the naked eye, but they are capable of kind of worming their way into, I don't know, the house, like through the, the window seals or around the screens or if there's a little tiny hole in there they can get in there and so they're going to be drawn to the light so they will kind of come in because you have your lights on at night right and so they will then kind of get into that windowsill area and this for me around here in central texas this is kind of a very common fall occurrence it happens pretty much every year and I don't know, people, I, I think at some point it's like, well, everybody should know what these are by now. <laughs> Maybe it's new people that are moving into Texas. I don't know. So these insects, they are related to um, like leaf hoppers and plant hoppers and things like that. And they are kind of a mottled brownish color, like a tan If you look at them, you can actually see the darker brown and stuff on them. But if you're not really looking at them underneath magnification, they look a little bit different. But these actually are going to develop within a gall that is on hackberry trees. And that's kind of the, the common thing. And Molly, I know that you get this as well. Everybody says, I don't have a hackberry tree in my yard. Yeah, but you do somewhere around you. <laughs> we also have like um, spiny hackberry, and I don't remember what the hackberry um, genus is, but there's a lot of species of hackberry that aren't your typical hackberry tree. So do, do these guys come off of those hackberries as well, or are they more host-specific to the tree uh, species? I think that they're just more general, like hackberry in that kind of general group because this is it's essentially like a genus that this is it's the uh, pachycilla 
is the genus of these. I mean, it's not just one species. So I'm assuming that there's going to be plenty of them. So it's also kind of like the snout butterfly that comes off of the hackberry, the spiny hackberry. And you might not see any of that in your landscape, but you certainly see those butterflies. So they just come from wherever there's a plant somewhere that is in that genus. Yeah. And it could be like greenbelt areas or, you know, park areas or roadsides or just there's tons of stuff. Janet, what do you got? You were touching on the green belts and stuff. And I would say most urban dwellers may not have a hackberry tree per se in their neighborhood that they think about. But if there's a dry creek bed, um, any vegetation areas like uh, utility lines, that's what I was trying to, to, to think about was because in my in North Texas, in North Dallas area, hackberries are few and far between, but we also have other trees that are found in those areas. And yes, they come in searching that evening light to drive you crazy. Well, these are going to, um, essentially, they're, they're not harmful. They're not a medically important pest where they're going to bite or sting you. So it's not problematic in that regard. They don't vector disease. They don't, I don't know, eat your house. I'm trying to think of what other stuff that people would be concerned about, about a structural pest, but these are more of what we would call a nuisance pest that they're just kind of there and they become annoying when they get into the house. And usually when I'm dealing with people, I just say, well, because usually it's like, well, I have these dead insects on my windowsill. And it's like, well, they're dead. So you really don't have to do anything other than clean them up. So it's not, it's not a problem if they're already dead, in my opinion. Yeah. But, and they don't live very long. So you rarely see them crawling around on the windowsill. It's like they come in and die right away for some reason. Yeah. And I, I always caution people because they want to know, well, you know, what, what can we treat with? Right. And the, the, this question always comes up pretty quickly in the conversation. What can we treat with? Well, there's, you know, contact insecticides that you could apply around the exterior of your house. But the reality is you're just going to kill the adults that show up there and it's going to take them a while to die anyway. So you're still going to have these insects moving around inside and outside of your house. So it's, it's, this is kind of one of those issues that it, it doesn't, pay to treat them really, right? Because the other part of the story is that we're going to move through their adult season very quickly. You know, the next couple of weeks, we won't see them again until next year, you know. But they are, ten, they, they do tend to be a yearly occurrence. And, you know, I know some people are like, oh, well, if I have a hackberry tree in my yard, then maybe I'll just cut it down and then I won't have problems with these. <laughs> that won't necessarily work because like Molly mentioned earlier, even if you don't have a hackberry tree in your yard, it's most likely that there will be a hackberry somewhere nearby that these are still going to emerge out of. And so it's really not going to help if you cut down your individual hackberry tree. So these guys, um, like I said, they are very tiny, but you can you know, try, try to make sure your screens, I guess, are in good repair, that you don't have holes in them, depending on 
the mesh of your screening, then it may be that it's too large and they can go ahead and go through that screening. So you may need a finer mesh if they're doing that and change out your screens. Uh, you also need to make sure that the weather stripping around your doors and windows has a good seal. And I guess the best way, or at least the, the way that I do that around doors is if I'm inside the structure during the day and I can see daylight around the doors, then essentially my weather stripping needs to be replaced. And it's mm -hmm. kind of the, the easy way to tell, right? And then I can't, I don't think that these guys, I've never had any reports of them moving in through weep holes. So anyone else on that one? No, I was just wondering about that. Um, <clears throat> but the reality is for most folks, if you've got a brick home with weep holes, um, you should probably think about um, putting weep hole covers over them anyway for other insects. I, I mean, I can imagine, I mean, the possibility exists that these guys walk through weep holes and then find their way, you know, into the interior of a home. Um, so, so you could solve that issue and lots of other insect and arthropod issues simply by putting weep hole covers uh, on your house. And if you don't know what a weep hole is, if you have a brick or a stone facade on your house, um, near where that is at the foundation, there's going to be little openings essentially that gives access to the wall void. And that is going to be important for airflow. That way you don't have, uh, I guess, moisture and mold and stuff kind of building up in the wall void area. So it's important that air can flow through there, but that also means that insects and other arthropods can move in to those weep hole areas into the wall voids of your home and then kind of move into the structure from there. So you do need to make sure that that is sealed in some manner that allows airflow through that space, but will block those arthropods from getting in. And as Robert mentioned, there are weep hole covers that you can buy. Those are going to be at like a hardware store that you can get, or I'm sure you can buy them online because you can essentially buy anything online. But if you don't want to have weep hole covers, because I know the, the brick at my house, it's not always a um, uniform size like the weep hole covers are. You can use other things that will allow air to flow through there. Steel wool used to be recommended, which you can certainly use that. But if it gets wet, then it can rust and then that can stain the home. So just keep that in mind. Copper mesh is a, another option that you can utilize. And then also kind of the, um, I don't know, those little plastic scrubby pad things that you use in the kitchen. You can use those as well if you want. So those are kind of the ones that I would use to seal weep holes. And like Robert said, that's going to work not only for keeping hackberry psyllids out, but also you know, spiders and scorpions and all sorts of stuff. Asian ladybird beetles, which can be another one, which if you want to uh, have more information about Asian ladybird beetles, if you're having those move into your home, uh, those are also the multicolored lady beetles, depending on what you call them. We did an episode previously on that. So you can look up that episode and get that information. 
All right. What else do we need to cover on these? Oh, we should probably talk about galls. So we said that these are gall makers. Brian, do you want to tell everybody a little bit about galls? Yeah. So I was actually just reading, I was going to mention their life cycle. So, and I I actually have a question because I haven't worked too much with these either. Um, As far as their, their population kind of explodes, right. And in the fall, once we get into this cooler weather, um, now, did they overwinter um, as adults and then lay early in the spring, like on new hackberry growth? Um, and, and that's, you know, as the leaf and tree is growing, that damage, is that what forms the, the gall on the tree? The, the eggs are laid on the leaves, which will then, um, like that, that leaf or... Yeah, the plant, the tree or whatever will then start to grow around it and kind of encompass it. Yeah, kind of like a, a defense mechanism in its way or like a form of encapsulation, um, but it actually forms like a protective barrier over over the immature insect, right? Yes. Where they're then protected from the environment, from predators, they can feed and they can grow. Um, and then you know, once they get to, um, I was trying to see how many M stars. It looks like five, five nymphal M stars. Um, after that, they emerge as adults, um, and so that—that's where my, I guess, my question was, was because um, we mentioned how you know we, we see a lot of dead ones, um, and I don't know if those are just uh, they get you know tricked, brought in by the light, um, they come into our windows, they die in the windowsill, for example. Or do they, um, you know, the adults that do end up living over winter um, mate and then lay their eggs early spring for them to then, uh, yeah, complete that cycle? I think it's the second one that they, the the adults that don't get trapped inside houses and they actually survive, mm-hmm. those ones the are going to overwinter. And because I think that that's why they're kind of, moving towards the homes is because they're looking for that place to overwinter. And a lot of times the house is going to be a cozy habitat. So (laughs) they just unfortunately die. Do they only have a single generation a year or do we just see a large emergence in the fall and they're kind of out in the spring and summer? It's just not as great as this one. No, they have, um, Bryant, from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, that they will lay their eggs and then the gall is developed and then they have those nymphal instars and that happens essentially throughout the summer and then those adults emerge out in the fall. So it's, yeah, I think it's one generation. Yeah, everything I've read about them suggests that they're a single generation per year. Which is amazing because this is kind of, you know, this every single fall I get get inundated with questions about these and it's just wow sorry our our hackberry trees here I mean I'm sure you guys have heard right have been totally devastated by that hackberry worm and so I'm wondering how that relates to these guys as well you know if there's any sort of competition there Ooh, Hmm. I wonder if it would be interesting to see since you guys have been having that caterpillar eat the hackberries, if you don't have issues with the hackberry still at this fall, because if they were eating all of the foliage, I wonder if they would eat the galls as well. And that would mean that they're eating the immatures of this. And so maybe you won't have a hackberry psyllid 
outbreak or huge population this year? Yeah, because that initial caterpillar outbreak, I mean, it, so it happened, it completely defoliated the trees, right? And so, because I went out to collect a couple um, and you could see where that new, uh, the new buds, new leaves were were forming, like, right, they already kind of pushed new growth out. But basically that kind of took care of the uh, the early egg layers right in the spring. So, I mean, there, there's probably no, there were no adults till then lay eggs. That'll be crazy. Brian, you'll have, you'll have to keep us uh, posted and let us know if you get any Hackberry psyllid calls this year. Yeah, I'll let you know. This is kind of a, a good example of how there's, you know, a bunch of us on this podcast and we all know little bits and pieces about these things, but we don't know everything about it. And kind of, it's a good, I think, example of, of uh, how not everyone can know everything about every single insect. And this guy is just, it just kind of comes out and it doesn't do anything bad. So there's nobody really researching it because um, there's no need to. Right. Well, I mean, People might want to be curious about biology, but research also needs money to fund it and getting somebody to fund research on insects that really don't do anything but annoy people is very difficult. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this has to be like somebody's pet project and, you know, I, it wouldn't be mine. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so I, I know that we mentioned galls, galls in general, and I, I mean, I don't know if people you know, who, who are outside often look at a, a, the underside of a leaf or something and say, oh yeah, that's a gall. Can we identify it? But these galls, the hackberry psyllid galls, to me, uh, they look very soft compared to other galls that you'll see, like say on like oak trees, the like live oak mm -hmm. leaves that you'll look at. Um, they almost look like, and I can't remember the type of succulent. Um, it's just like a soft little ball of like 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 it almost looks like a mushroom um kind of colored purple but it's very succulent looking to me uh compared to other galls that are like that hard it kind of just looks like a like a berry is stuck to the leaf or something right yeah yeah brian i know what you're talking about real soft tissue and and uh they almost they almost make the leaves appear kind of warty in appearance you know on the yeah. other side um, we had a hackberry tree in our yard when I was a kid. And this, of course, before I was interested in entomology and I saw those, I, I didn't know what they were. I don't think anybody in my family did. We just thought they kind of had these gross looking leaves, you know, that had warts all over them. I also called them tree warts when I was a kid. Yeah. yeah. <gasps> That's a great name. Well, I always get people that, um, think they're, uh, carpet beetles that are coming in and then, you know, carpet beetles that sometimes of the year um, are just going after pollen and stuff and they're not really a problem but in the fall that's not necessarily the case because if you look at the hackberry they're kind of modeled and to me at least with your eye and they that appearance is kind of similar to the the scales on the carpet beetle um, but people don't want carpet beetles of course because they feed on wool and feathers and things in high with high protein so if you have hides and stuff like that in your house then um, that can be a concern, but the, that's the main one I get the misidentified for, um, or, you know, people assume that's what it is. I don't know if there's any others though, that I've heard other than that one. Well, but these are going to be completely different shape than the yeah. carpet beetles. I mean, they're both kind of that mottled brownish color, but the, the carpet beetles are going to be round. Essentially, it looks like a little 
I don't know. A beetle. A, a round <laughs> fuzzy beetle. Like and a little junk these, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then <laughs> these are going to be more um, elongated, kind of like a, I don't know, bullet shaped almost. Yeah. And tense shaped, I feel like the, so the way that their wings are held, right? It's it's like, yeah. I always say tense when I'm talking about the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, any, any hetero or uh, what am I trying to say? Any, um, any homopteran. Yes. Thank you. Uh-huh. Like um, they're like sort in terms of the way they they're shaped, Brian, I think you're, like they're sort of like a mini cicada, right? How they, yeah. How yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Like a really, really, really mini cicada. <laughs> yeah. Su- super tiny, but the, the wing, like the size of a cicada eyeball, maybe. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, when we're when we're talking, their wings are tent like it's like a two man pup tent, not a big fancy glamping tent. Any yeah. other ones that people get these mistake? I I always have people calling them gnats, and oh, yeah. which you know gnats technically are a type of fly, um, which I could see that they kind of may look confusing because they're tiny and they're flying around and you know again people probably aren't looking at them with magnification but you know they're not gnats again they hold their wings differently and if you look really close they'd have different mouth parts because these are going to have piercing sucking mouth parts on the hackberry psyllids yeah i think it's interesting you know we've all become very specialized in entomological entomologically related careers and uh we know a lot about bugs, but most folks don't. And so if they don't have any training, it's like any tiny bug is a gnat, right? Um, yes. That's fine. Or a noceum. Yeah. If yeah, they bite, right. it's a noceum. Right. <laughs> Molly, I don't understand why a tiny hackberry psyllid could be confused for a dermestid. I don't either, but I mean, we look at bugs all day long, so... I get it a lot from um, PMPs, pest management professionals, because they're thinking of the things that, you know, bring the, the give them the, the clients, the things they want to actually treat. And I think it's just the coloration and then found around the windowsills because we will get lots and lots and lots of um, carpet beetles all along the windows when, when pollen is like bonkers in the springtime. And I think they're chewing on it as it sticks to the screens. So I, I think it's just same situation, same location that they're found, but no, I agree. They look totally different, but we look at bugs all day. And to me, all snakes look the same and all fish look the same. Cause I don't look at them all the time. So I can, I can see how some people would confuse it, I guess. Okay. Thank you. And we don't have trees, so we don't have pollen. And I didn't know <laughs> domestics were <laughs> congregating on screen. That's a new one to me too. Thank you. And for those listeners who are wondering who that was that chimed in, that is Dr. Pat Porter. He's kind of our behind the scenes person. So uh, he is part of our, our show as well. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Unwanted Guests. Remember, if you find hackberry psyllids dead on your windowsill, just suck them up with a vacuum cleaner or sweep them off with a dustpan. And just be aware that they're going to be gone within a few weeks. So they are only going to be a nuisance. We hope that you will join us next time on Unwanted Guests. And again, thanks for listening.